0: Brethren, this is a Christian worship service of praise, thanksgiving, and hope directed to our great and gracious triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and conducted in loving memory of Charles Robert Reiner Jr., a choice disciple of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Charles was born into the church militant on May 13, 1945, in Albany, Georgia, and passed into the church triumphant on September 27, 2022. Charles was 77 years of age. He was preceded in death by his father, Charles Robert Reiner Sr. and his mother, Jane Sawyer Reiner Metters. He's been a member of the Independent Presbyterian Church for 20 years. On behalf of Charles and of a number of his family members and loved ones Uh, let me express gratitude uh, to you all for honoring the life of Charles by your presence here today even as we together seek the comfort of the Holy Spirit the consolation of God's holy word and renew our hope in the certainty of the resurrection of the dead through our Lord Jesus Christ Let us worship God together by carefully attending to the inspired words of the 121st Psalm. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Let's join in the worship of God by singing together hymn number 53, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. God, we bow to praise you and to honor you. Uh, For you are the the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. You are the maker of all things. You govern all things. You sustain all things. It's, It's in you that we live and move and have our being. You give us life and breath and all things. You are the God who declares the end from the beginning, who numbered our days when as yet there was not one and against whose will not even a sparrow falls from a tree. You are the God who works all things after the counsel of your own will, the God who ordains whatsoever comes to pass. And knowing these things, O Lord, we pray that all who are here present, this occasion where we celebrate a life and ponder the brevity and uncertainty of life and the reality of death, we pray that we would all find peace in the promise of the gospel through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that on this day that you would be for us a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Uh, We plead, O Lord, that you would send your spirit to comfort and that the promises of your word would console. And we pray that your gospel would shine gloriously in this time that we share here together in Jesus name we pray amen we will now turn to the word of god uh, for our consolations we'll begin with the 23rd psalm uh, david is is a uh, is in troubled circumstances. Uh, He recalls even being in the presence of his enemies, this most beloved and widely known of all the Psalms. He writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." And then from Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, in this passage, writes of the, the certainty of our union with Christ and the impossibility That any created thing in in all of the universe uh, could possibly separate us from the love of God, which is ours in Christ Jesus. Beginning at verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 51. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes there, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. And then finally, John chapter 14, Jesus on the eve of his betrayal and suffering, offers these words of comfort to his disciples then and to us today. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do not know him and have seen him. Rather, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know Philip? or else believe on account of the works themselves. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's join together now and sing hymn number 44, How Great Thou Art, number 44 in the hymnal. Matthew 20, verse 28, Jesus says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, Jesus identifies himself as a servant. He came as the servant of the Lord. Uh, Twenty years ago, um, Charles uh, took our inquirer's class and then came in for his interview. He was coming to us from a Lutheran church, and so this is uh, the routine that everybody that joins our church goes through, they, they, the mandatory inquisition by the uh, senior minister. And uh, so I uh, conducted that interview. He made a very clear profession of his faith in Christ, and on, on his, um, his registration form, I put a check plus, that's, a, that's the highest grade you can get from that interview. And uh, Charles, Charles got, a, got, got the high mark for uh, the clarity of his understanding that salvation uh, was to be found only in Jesus Christ, only by faith in Him apart from any good works or good deeds or meritorious activity on, behalf, on, on the part of Him as a believer. So how would I characterize Charles and what, uh, what might we have to learn from his life? I, I would characterize him as a servant of Christ. Uh, that uh, I think is very basic to who he was. He was a servant of Christ. And there's two things I want to say about that. Uh, one is that that's a very humble title, uh, servant. Um, it's not an uh, exalted title at all, is it? Like emperor, or king, or even president, or CEO, uh, or some such um, worldly title. No, it's a very, it's a very um, humble title. It's even, you might even say, it's it's a despised title. We look with contempt on those who uh, have achieved no more uh, than. Uh, to be a servant in this world. They've they've been able to accomplish no more than to… and rise no higher than than that of of servitude on behalf of another person. So, it's a a humble title. I think it fits Charles in that respect. He was a very, very gentle spirit, uh, very humble, very quiet, uh, unassuming, and yet uh, very faithful. Um, for 30 years, he taught in the public schools. A number of years after that, he taught in several different um, Christian schools. He has generations of, of um, students who look back fondly on um, his classes and, and who learned a lot from him about the sciences and about life itself. In fact, we have an elder in this church who was one of his students at Calvary Day School uh, back in the day and, and uh, t- was taught chemistry by uh, by Charles. Um, for 20 years, he served in uh, as a member of our choir, again, very, very uh, faithfully, uh, faithful in attending church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and uh, Sunday school. Um, and not the least of uh, his area of service, Ch- Charles made the best pecan brittle that ever has been made. Uh, uh, and I'm not exaggerating. I told Charles for years, you need to market this stuff. You could make a fortune, because it is the best. That I, I don't know how he did it, and I, I, I hope the recipe doesn't die with him. But um, that, was a, that was one of the ways he served our church, was that he treated people to his pecan brittle. And uh, I unashamedly will admit to uh, pressuring him to make a special batch uh, for the senior minister. So he very humbly served. And another thing I think people don't know, uh, you know Charles was a, was, a, was a gentleman, and he was very uh, protective of and committed to choir members. So he used to walk uh, the female members of the choir to their cars. And I have it on good authority Uh, that uh, he used to carry. You know, you have have a box that you you get your Bible in. He'd carry a little box, a little Bible box, when he escorted the ladies of the choir to their cars. And in that box was not a Bible, but a pistol. (laughs) He was going to make sure that those ladies got to their car safely. So I cannot confirm that story and I imagine that at a memorial service, you ought not to be making things up, but uh, I have a hunch that there's some truth in that one, uh, that Charles, if he was going to be an escort, he's going to make sure that uh, those for whom he was assuming some responsibility, uh, they were going to get there safely. So he packed some heat inside his little Bible case. So it's it's a very humble title, and Charles wore that well. It's also an exalted title. Jesus is the servant of the Lord. In the New Testament, Paul, Phoebe, Epaphras twice, uh, Tychicus, Moses, James, Peter, Jude are all called servants of God or servants of Christ or servants of the Lord, so it's um, The world may not understand it, but it is is in God's economy. It's an exalted title. Uh, So Jesus uh, speaks of the wise and faithful servant in one of his parables, who is prepared for the the coming of the Lord, as though there were nothing greater that, that a person could be than a faithful and wise servant. He he um, he portrays uh, the disciples uh, who have lived a Christian life, as in Matthew twenty-five, uh, and have been faithful, hearing Christ's words to them. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Again, as though there were no more exalted title that could be given there. Well done, good and faithful what? Good and faithful servant. That, that, that's, the, that's the words with which uh, believers, uh, faithful disciples, will be greeted in heaven, will be uh, to be identified as one who is a servant of Christ. A, a title I would... I would um, I would urge you to, to consider, that is more exalted than emperor, or king, or chairman of the board, or president, or, or any other worldly title to be, to, be, to be called and be known as a servant of Christ, there is nothing greater than which one could be called um, than to be called a servant of Christ. And, and That's what Charles was, and I, and I believe that's what every one of us should aspire to be. Um, I, I, I would say that in terms of my own personal inspiration, the reason why it says in the bulletin each week, Mr. Johnson, and not even Reverend Do- Johnson, and certainly not Reverend Dr. Johnson, is because I think there's a certain pretension in all of that, as there is in, in so many. Uh, worldly titles. Caesar Augustus, the august one, the great one. Uh, no, as Christians, we aspire to be known as simply uh, as servants of Christ. We embrace that it, the, with meekness and we, in humility uh, to be known by that title of, of servant, and to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your, of your master. And we believe Charles, Charles has heard those words. He's been commended by Christ as a servant, a good servant, a faithful servant. And that, that means that, that a gathering like this where we say goodbye to a loved one, uh, to a a faithful member of our congregation whom we have known and loved and whose uh, character has been meaningful to us and is appreciated. uh, it's 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 a melancholy occasion in which there is rightly and properly a mixture of emotions that are felt. There, there. Of course, is the sadness, the sadness of the departure, uh, the sadness of um, of knowing that we will not see that person in this world anymore. This person whom we loved, that person whose character we appreciated, um, that person with whom we enjoyed our, our our interactions, who had a special place in our heart. We're not going to see them anymore. So there's naturally and, and rightly and properly uh, an. an a strong element of sadness. The apostle Paul, just contemplating the possibility of the, of the death of Epaphroditus, says that God spared him so that he, Paul, might not experience sorrow upon sorrow. And the early church, when Stephen uh, was martyred, they wept. It's, Luke tells us they wept with loud lamentation. So, there's for believers, there's a, there's a right and proper element of, of, of sadness because of the departure, because of the separation, uh, because of the end of a relationship uh, that will not continue again in, in this world. But it doesn't stop there for us. Uh, to, to know that uh, Charles is, uh, lived in this life as a servant of Christ and that Charles upon leaving this world, was received into heaven and and, and heard the words, well done, good and faithful servant, that tempers the sadness, doesn't it? It means that there's mixed into the sadness uh, an element of joy, uh, of of relief, uh, to know that Uh, Charles bout with weakness and sickness and affliction, that that bout is over, that that he's in a better place and in a a better world. And, And that's the testimony of Scripture. That's the testimony of the apostles and of the early Christians, and of Christians all throughout the century. So the apostle Paul can say, to live is Christ, but to die is what? Gain. It's gain. He says, to depart and be with him is far better. It's gain. It's better. It's to leave this world. It's gain. It's better. In His presence, Psalm sixteen is the fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures, forevermore. Where, where's there the fullness of joy? Not in this world. In this world, the best—it's all—it's partial. It's—it's a, it's a mixture. It always is. Everything in this world, there, there, there are ants at every picnic. There's always something flawed. Where's the fullness of joy? That's uh, in the presence of God. So, to depart and to be with Christ, that is, that is far better. To be absent from the body, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is to be present with the Lord. That's, good. that's a good thing. Casting off of uh, these uh, deteriorating bodies, uh, that's a good thing. You know, I think it was George Bernard Shaw said that the youth is such a wonderful thing. It's such a shame that we wasted on young people. And, you know, and the older you get, the more you realize that. Because, you know, you used to go through life with hardly an ache or hardly a pain, and now you hardly move in there without some ache or some pain located somewhere in one's body. You used to put your head on the pillow and you sleep right through the night, and and uh, uh, and now you got to keep turning because you've got an ache on this side or an ache on that side or an ache on the back side or there's… a. Uh, you know, that's just what happens. The body breaks down. It deteriorates. The casting off of that body uh, is a good thing in the anticipation of a, of a new and improved and better and glorified body. That's a good thing. We can rejoice in that. Uh, we can be happy uh, that Charles has been able to shed this old body and, and anticipates the day that will come when, when he will uh, receive a glorified glorified and a flawless body. So that, that, that tempers our sadness and it renews our hope. What is it that we believe? Well, we believe what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live, even if he dies. And the one who lives and believes in me shall never die. Shall never die? But uh, Charles did die. Yes, but the point is, that Jesus has so conquered and so triumphed over death that it is as though he did not die. The consciousness moved from this world to the next world. He closed his eyes here. He opened his eyes there. It's as though he didn't die at all. He he was never unconscious, as, as, as it were, at least metaphorically speaking. The one who lives and believes in me shall never die. Death doesn't really touch the believer. Why? Because Jesus conquered it. He rose. And when He rose, He defeated it. He rose victorious over it. It couldn't contain Him. He defeated death and defeated it on our behalf. And so we live in that hope. Uh, the, the, this is behind the words of comfort that Jesus uh, speaks to His disciples that we read earlier in John 14. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, we believe that. We believe He's gone and He's preparing a place for us. And he says, if and if I go prepare prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We believe that. He's prepared a place for us so that we can be where where he is. Where is heaven? That's where Jesus is. That's That's the simple and most direct answer to that question. Where do we go when we die? When we die in faith in Christ, where do we go? We go to where he is. Because he's gone to prepare a place for us so that uh, where he is there, we may be also. We we will be reunited with him. We will be in his presence. And he sums up his whole mission, as it were. I go to prepare a place for you. What's he doing between his ascension and his return? Preparing a place for us as though He could do nothing more important than that, than preparing a place for us so that where He is, there we could be too, so that we could be with Him. He wants us to be with Him. It's really an extraordinary thing. Ponder that for a moment. What uh, what fills the time between the ascension and the return? What is Christ doing? What is He busying Himself doing? He's preparing a place for us. Why is He doing that? Uh, so that we can be with him, because he wants us to be where he is, that where I am, there you may be also. So, Charles, as a servant of the Lord, what's true for him is true of all the servants of the Lord, all those who are disciples of Christ, all those who believe, who have put their faith in him, who've turned from their sin and put their faith in him have this confidence. And what this does is it takes the sting out of death. Death has a sting. It smarts. But Jesus removes the sting. Oh, death, where is thy victory? We read earlier, oh, death, where is thy sting? He's taken the sting out of it because he's transformed what it is for believers. So that's our confidence. That's our hope this morning. Let the Spirit renew that within us strengthen that within us, let's grieve in the language of First Thessalonians chapter 4, not like those who have no hope, let's grieve, yes, but not hopeless grief. Uh, rather, it's a, it's a grief that's tempered by the knowledge of Christ's conquest of death and the, the certainty of, of eternal life with Him and with all those who have been known by His name as we pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray now that your Holy Spirit would comfort those who mourn. We pray that the promises of your gospel would provide deep consolation. Uh, We pray that you would plant deeply in in our souls confidence in the promise that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we're grateful, O Lord, that in the world to come, Uh, for all of your disciples, there will be no more suffering and no more pain and no more tears and the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And Father, we pray that we would remember Charles' virtues and that we would be careful to follow uh, the good example that he set of what it means to be a servant of Christ. And I pray, O Lord, that all of us here today would be deeply sensible of the brevity and uncertainty of life and might take this opportunity, knowing that there might never be another, to make our peace with you, O God, through your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus, the Savior of the world. We pray that in the weeks and months ahead that you might meet every need of the family and his loved ones and friends in this time of loss. And we pray together, O O Lord, that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, every good Presbyterian uh, funeral features the singing of a psalm because that is deep, deep, deep deeply rooted in our tradition, psalm singing. So if you'll turn in your hymnal to number 87, we'll sing uh, the, the uh, 23rd Psalm uh, found uh, at number 87 in the hymnal. Family is uh, pleased to greet you uh, following the service. Receive now the benediction. Now, the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.